Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Well, good morning. So good to be, uh, to be with you this morning, to worship with you. Um, I, uh, I was a worship leader for about 25 years, and um, it's still, even though I love preaching, I, I, love, I love it when the people of God uh, sing songs and uh, set their hearts before the Lord. Uh, I love this uh, time of the year. It gives us a, a chance to, uh, to kind of um, recalibrate, yeah, to realign, to, to make some New Year's resolutions and uh, see how long it is before we break them. Um, anybody else find, find that way? Number one, um, Amazon o- over this season is exercise equipment. I wonder why. Anybody want to guess the number one thing for sale in summer yard sales? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, and and then it juxtaposes with your 21-day fast, the, the 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 Daniel fast, the choosing to set aside um, uh, something, usually in following Daniel to limit our intake to fruits and vegetables, basically, um, and to do so not simply because it's the thing to do, but as a way of focusing our hearts. Anybody else get distracted by, ooh, pretty things happening all the time in our culture? Uh, and we are being pummeled, are we not, with things that we're, ought, we're supposed to think about and care about and get outraged over, the volume of outrage has increased now to 11, we're pegging the meter on outreach, uh, outrage, um, and, and the fast has its intention of saying, slow down, pay attention to the things that God's outraged about. Don't let yourself get sucked into the vortex of the crazy of the culture. You don't have the capacity, you don't have the energy, you don't have the bandwidth to care about everything that everybody's telling you you need to care about. That's why there's a couple hundred of us. Not everybody needs to care about the same thing. Isn't that, just that sentence alone, isn't that helpful to some of y'all? It's like, oh man, I'm caring about 83 things. And fasting helps us to ask three questions and listen long enough to answer them. What is mine to say? And what is not mine to say? It's important that y'all know you can have an opinion without anybody else knowing what it is. (laughs) Wouldn't that free up Thanksgiving some, yeah? What is mine to do and what is not mine to do? You will always have enough time, energy, and resource to do everything that Jesus asks you to do. But not everything that Jesus asks you to do and everything that everybody else wants you to do and everything that you want to do. And because we have, as Brett Ledison has surrendered all, 
You didn't just sing that. You actually prayed that, yeah? That means you don't get to determine what you do. You're a soldier under orders. So Jesus gets to say what you do. And there'll always be enough time, energy, and resource to do everything that Jesus is asking you to do. So if you don't have enough time or energy or resource for your life, fasting will help you to ask, what am I doing that Jesus hasn't asked me to do? And how do I not do that anymore? (laughs) And then the third question that Suzanne Stabile, spiritual director, has taught me to ask in this fasting season is, what is mine to care about? And what is not mine to care about? We don't have, we live in a culture that says what happens on the other side of the world is as impactful to you as what happens to you. No, actually it isn't. It happens somewhere else. Now, somebody needs to care about all of those things. But maybe not me, because here's what happens. I only have limited bandwidth to care about stuff. If I'm caring about 83 things, guess what I'm not caring about? All 83 of them. I just don't have the bandwidth to care about all that stuff. One or two things, yeah. Now we're in my wheelhouse. Does that make sense? So, so how do we make those kinds of decisions? How does fasting help us focus our heart posture so that we know how to live out of who we are in Christ and be transformative agents in the world in which we live? Because God doesn't have a plan B, guys. You're it. If the world isn't saved by you, it's not going to be saved by anybody. You do know that this is not destination, it's launching pad, yeah? Church is not where we, we, we go, church is who we are in the world, right? So how do, how, do we, how do we become, how do we focus our hearts, and how does fasting play into that? So I'm going to ask you to bear with me, I'm going to read a fairly lengthy chunk of scripture this morning and move through it fairly quickly. If you have your Bibles or your devices, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. And we'll pick it up at verse 13. Matthew, as you know, uh, is a catechetical gospel. That is, it is written, among other things, to help make disciples. So the passage that Brett led us in in the brief devotion before the service uh, sets the frame. It comes right after this passage of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus' engagement flowing in ministry, but I want you to notice what comes before Jesus begins his ministry. All right? You with me? Matthew chapter, you, you know this, John chapter, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus came from the Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning on him, resting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, whom I 
love. With him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the desert to be tested by the devil. Isn't that annoying? It's like, Holy Spirit, give me a break here. What do you mean you're taking those claws of the dove into my shoulder and driving me out into the desert not to see the starry skies? What is man that you were mindful of it but to be tested by the devil? I don't like this cooperative effort here. I don't like the way that you two are playing and I'm the pawn on the chessboard. I don't like, anybody know what that feels like? So the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert. I get excited about this. I'll calm down in a little while or have a heart attack. It'll be all right, it'll be fine. Just it'll be over here in about 20 minutes. But it's important for us to hear this because some of y'all are being driven by, in this fasting season, you're being driven by the Holy Spirit in the desert to be tested. Now notice what's being tested and how Jesus prepares for that test. Hmm. After 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And then the examiner came to him and said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So then the devil took him to the highest peak of the highest building in the city of Jerusalem, the peak of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Because it is written, he has given his angels charge concerning you. They will lift you up in your hands so that you don't strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered him and said, it is also written that you don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him. All the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, all this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, get away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Well, where were they all this time? <laughs> so, what's happening here? Jesus has lived. We celebrated the Epiphany today. Yesterday was Epiphany, uh, the end of the 12 days of Christmas, the beginning of, in the church calendar, ordinary time, the short season of ordinary time where we get used to living in the reality of incarnation. What does it mean that God has come to be with us, not to rescue us, but to be with us in the middle of the mess. We want rescue. He promises presence. That's different. And the reason is we want to be able to make a mess and then get 
excavated from it. Jesus wants us to learn how not to make a mess. Isn't that frustrating? Uh, so, so, so that's what incarnation is. Now we are in this short season of the church calendar year called Ordinary Time following Epiphany that invites us to learn how to live in the ordinary reality of God's being with us. So Jesus has lived in obscurity now for 30-odd years, and then his cousin John, who, as you know, is the Elijah figure of Old Testament prophecy, the way maker, the one who prepares the way for the coming of Messiah, begins his ministry. And his ministry, as you know, if you back up a few verses, is a ministry of preparation by means of repentance. Prepare the way of the Lord. Messiah is coming. Don't live as if he were not. If you need to clean house, by all means, clean house. Messiah is on the way. And baptism, the dying and raising, was an intended way to signify the death to the old and the raising to the new. A new life, a new understanding, right? So Jesus now comes to, from the Galilee, back in the backwoods, just north of Hammett there, and he comes in the middle of nowhere where nobody's paying any attention. Y'all missed that. Come on, work with me here. And, 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 and showed up in, in, in the Jordan where John was baptizing. And John, John knows who he is. He's heard the stories. From before his birth, he knew who he was. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, and wants to be baptized, he's in the line. He's got a little tag that says number 38. John says, what are you doing? I'm, I should be being baptized by you. This is a baptism of preparation for y'all. And Jesus, notice what he does here. He reframes baptism. It's no longer a baptism of repentance for preparation. Jesus says, let us baptize to fulfill all righteousness. You catch the shift? What righteousness is being fulfilled, brought to completion in Jesus' being baptized? But the righteousness that comes from keeping the law. What we're witnessing here is the end of what we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where Jesus gathers up in himself the completion, the fulfillment of the law of Moses and dies to be raised to the new thing that God is doing. You, you with me here? So, so salvation is no longer from, from keeping the rules. By the way, it's a good idea to keep the rules, right? The rules are not, breaking the rules is not sin. Sin is why there are rules. The rules are intended to keep you from crashing in the ditch of your own life. You want a marriage that is sustained and sustainable for 45, 50, 60 years and bears witness to the reality of God's love for the world? You want that? Write this down. Don't commit adultery. It's not rocket science. Do you see? The, the, the rules are to keep us from drifting into the, into the ditch. And Jesus brings 
brings to completion that reality, is raised now to, to the baptism is, is death and, and new life, right? So he's raised to new life. Genesis chapter 1, all over again. It's, it's the do-over button. It's the start again. And again, the Spirit, the same one who breathed life in Genesis chapter 2, and, 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 and formed us as the image, it, 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 Spirit comes and dwells instead of when, when, when the Spirit dwells, I'm starting to stutter, aren't I? Slow down. Um, when the Spirit comes here, it says He comes and rests on Him. The Old Testament previously, the Holy Spirit came and empowered somebody to do something for a limited time, time and task. Here now, the Spirit comes and dwells with, rests on Jesus, never leaves Him. Everything Jesus does from here on out, he does in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is this important? Because that same Spirit is available to you. It's the very same thing. This is why Jesus says, greater stuff than I've done, you'll be able to do. Right? So the Spirit comes and dwells on him, rests on him. But then here's the piece that I want you to hear at the beginning of this new year. As a recalibrating understanding. He hears a voice from the heavens that he recognizes as the voice of his father who says, that's my boy. That's my beloved son. In him, in you, I am well pleased. Those are two different statements. If you grew up as I did with an angry dad who was raised by an angry dad, who made me an angry dad? The one thing I never heard from my angry dad was a defining of identity rooted in love. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That shapes you. Because when you don't hear it from the get-go, guess what you're always working towards? Everything you do is in the hopes that somebody will have noticed and say, I'm pleased with you. Do you see? So Jesus hasn't done anything yet. You notice this? He hasn't earned anything yet. He doesn't, he doesn't minister towards love. He ministers from love. He has heard the voice from the heavens. It has taken root in his soul. He has heard an awareness, and not just that he is the beloved, but that the Father is pleased with him. Those are, those, you can go a long way drinking from those cups of the affirmation of the Father. And I want to say, maybe if I can just say this, if you are in Christ, you have heard that same voice. Because that same statement applies to you. Whether you heard it from your earthly father or not, whether you heard it from a coach, whether you heard it from somebody whose opinion of you you respect, you have heard it from the heavens. God has spoken over you and said at the beginning of this new year, I want you to know something. I want you to know that you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. I am pleased with you. Nothing you can do is going to disqualify because it's not rooted in your character. It's rooted in God's character. Hmm? Now, what happens? Well, that same precious Holy Spirit, beautiful, pure white dove, drags his claws into Jesus' shoulder and drives him out into the desert to be tested by the devil. Hmm. 
That took a nasty turn. I really am grateful for the chapter division because it lets me end chapter 3 without going into chapter 4 where it gets nasty. You, You know? Unfortunately, Matthew wasn't aware of the chapter division. He thinks it's one story. By the way, the Satan has always been doing this. Right? Genesis chapter 3, children of Israel, Job, you. What's his role? He's the examiner. He's the one who asks the question fundamentally, do you remember who you are when it's hard to remember who you are? Do you remember the voice you heard? Do you remember that you're the beloved when you just screwed up? Do you remember that you're the beloved, that God is pleased with you? When every other voice in your life is saying something else about you, including your own voice? Do you believe what's true? How are we going to test you? How are we going... Because the Hebrew Greek word, rather, for test here is the same thing. Test, try, or tempt. It's the same word. And determining what it is is how you respond to it. You get to determine. Is it a temptation? You crash and burn? You believe the lie? Is it a test that you can pass by remembering what's true? Or is it one of those refining moments that burns and seals into you something that you need to keep solid at the center of your soul? You know, you know what I mean? Because that's what deserts do. Yes? They either burn out of you stuff that doesn't belong, or they seal into you things that you need to keep forever. And, and 40 days, that's a euphemism for as long as it takes. It's not intended ever to simply be a check the box 40 times in a row and you're good to go. Something is being worked in the 40 days and 40 nights, and you're going to be there until that work has been completed. This is a task that God entrusts to the Satan to test his people. Well, that's just not fair. Well, how else would you do it? How else would you do it? Systems get stressed and then you build into them resilience. Children are anti-fragile devices unless we make them fragile by protecting them from every and all harm and danger. If we expose them in appropriate ages, I get it, to, to hardship and difficulty and stress and distress, they develop the muscle memory of resilience. Do, do you see what's going on here? So, so notice what it is that the Holy Spirit is driving Jesus into the desert to be tested with. You catch the first one. If you are the son of... He's just come from a revival meeting. He's just come from a Saturday night prayer session. He's just heard the voice from the heaven. You're my beloved son. And the first temptation is, if you are the son of God, and you're hungry now, 40 days, 40 nights, you became hungry. 
you should be able to turn the stones into bread. Why did you do that? You hear what the temptation is. If you're the son of God, prove it. Do something that will give yourself the assurance that you've heard rightly. And Jesus knows something, as you do. If you have to prove what you have heard, you haven't heard it. It hasn't landed. You don't believe it. Does that make sense? So Jesus' response, I love his playfulness here. Man doesn't live on bread alone. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, where in the wilderness God provided manna for the people of Israel for 40 years. You think I need to eat multigrain bread that I've manufactured out of rocks when I've been sustained by the word of God? Because fasting for Jesus is feasting on the word of God. He has been mulling over, he has been meditating, he has been thinking about that voice that he heard. It's not just the Old Testament scriptures, it's the contemporary voice that he has heard, you are my beloved. So he, has been, he has been feasting on that word and is sustained by it when the temptation is to prove it. And by the way, there will come a time in your life where you will be tempted to prove who you are. Anybody know what that feels like? Mm. You, 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 don't, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mm, okay. Well, let's up the ante then. Takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Cast yourself down. He's given his angels charge over you. He, they will rescue you so you don't dash your foot against the stone. Let's do this. A temptation to spectacular, yeah. A temptation to no, no, notorious. Jesus, however, gets what's going on here. Oh, this is a bad idea. You don't test the Lord your... He's not talking about himself. He's talking about his father. Because the temptation, first one, if you are the son of God, you prove it. Second one, if you are the son of God, make God prove it. Give him the chance to just show off. And to pat you on the head and say, no, what I said was true. And Jesus again knows, <laughs> if you have to make God prove what he said, you didn't believe it the first time. And brother, sister, you're not going to believe it the second time either. How many of us have had miracles take place in our lives that we have begged God to give us so that we would know that he is real and when it occurs, we still don't believe that he's real. If you don't, if, if, here, here's, here's, here's a dirty little secret. Don't tell anybody. But faith doesn't need to see in order to believe. If you have to see in order to believe, whatever it is you're talking about, it's not faith anymore. Well, Jesus knows this. No, you don't test the Lord your God. 
Okay. And then he pulls out the big guns. Takes him to the highest peak in the, in the world, right? Looks over all of the kingdoms. You get the metaphor here, right? These are all mine, he could have said. And, and by the way, how did they become his? We gave them to him. They were ours. Genesis chapter 1 makes it clear. This is our territory. So he is rubbing our face in this story. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of the kingdom. Because he's, he's been in on the planning sessions. He knows what Jesus has come to do. He knows that Jesus has come to regain possession of all of the kingdoms of the world. He knows that. And here he's promising him a shortcut to the outcome. You can, you can get the home run. You can get what you came for. And you can avoid the price you're going to have to pay to get it. Because remember, Jesus is going to gain those kingdoms by dying on a cross, by bleeding out, naked, abused, broken. And here he has been given a get-out-of-jail-free card. You don't have to pay the price of being the Son of God. You can avoid it. You can take a shortcut. And Jesus sees this for what he is. Notice his response here is different than the previous times. This is the temptation, by the way, on the Thursday night that is going to ring the loudest to him. Remember? In the Garden of Gethsemane, what's the temptation? Is there another way? This one's going to sting for a while. So he simply says, leave me alone. I want to say something to you as you head into this year. It's going to cost you something to be who you are. It might be in your employment. It might be in your family. It might be in the fact that you are not going to get caught up in the crazy political weirdness that is our democracy these days. You don't have to get caught up in any of that. Now, now, now frankly, you'll make people nervous. If you're not crazy the way they're crazy, you, you make people nervous. You, you know what I mean? Because one of the things crazy people do is look around for other crazy people to let them know that we're all crazy together and therefore we must be normal. No, you're crazy. That's what's happening here. Right? So, so remember, they didn't, they didn't kill Jesus because he was a nice guy setting up McDonald's in the desert, feeding the 5,000. You tracking with me? They killed Jesus because he said, the way you're doing your life as pleasing God isn't. And he lived it out. You can, you can avoid the price of being who you are. Jesus recognized that sometimes that's going to be costly. Now, here's where it ties in. How did Jesus prepare to pass these tests? Because it's the same way you and I have to prepare. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Fasting for Jesus was not about weakness. It was about strength. 
Fasting was the crossfit of the spirit. Fasting was the workout. Fasting was the saying to his body, you're not the boss of me. So that when the temptation came at the center of his soul, his body was on his side, not oppositional to him. Do you see what he's doing? So as you enter into this fasting season, this isn't about twisting God's arm until he gives you what you want. This is about your remembering who you are as the beloved of the Father under moments of duress and testing and stress that will inevitably occur in these next few months. Yes? Because here we are already eight days into 2023 and it's just feeling like last year already. It's like I think we got stuck with a used year. How do you plan to be the citizen, the ambassador, the representative of the kingdom in this season? How do you plan to do that? Fasting is Jesus' preferred method for strength training, for facing the temptations that will inevitably come to you to forget who you are. And when you forget who you are, you forget what to say, you forget what to do, and you forget what to care about. Let's pray. Oh Lord, um, I'm grateful for this community that chooses in this season not to be defined by what they have or what they do or what other people say or think of them or who they are at their worst moment or who they are at their best moment. They are instead, Lord, choosing to let you define who they are. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as they enter into this season of fasting, you will draw near to them, O oh Lord, that it will be like you redefine baptism from repentance to fulfillment. You redefine fasting from repentance to strength training. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would um, do that for this good congregation, that you would bless them. We just sit for just a moment and if I might invite you to listen to the voice from the heavens. Can you hear the echo of the Father's voice in and through the noise of all of the other voices that you might have heard? Maybe a, maybe a parent Maybe a coach, maybe a teacher, maybe a spouse, maybe a boss. Can you let those voices die down until you can hear the one voice saying to you what is most deeply true, that you are the beloved of God, that he is pleased with you, that he has set his love on you. Pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to hear that with crystal clarity, with a voice that we recognize as yours.
and give us the courage to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.